afternoon and welcome to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions. I'm your host for today and every time that I'm here, Michelle Dawes-Bird. Always super excited to be here. Thank you everyone for joining us. I just want to jump right into what Real Chicks Rock is all about. We're all about creatively collaborating and connecting to raise awareness of, regarding issues that impact women. And we do it by way of community service engagement, public speaking, mentoring, workshops, and the arts. And the last time I was here, which was two weeks ago, because we're here every first and third Sunday at 2 p.m., we celebrated five years of having these discussions. It was so, it was, it just touched my heart so, so much. I'm still smiling and basking from it, but we got to move on. We got to make progress. That's what we're doing. So this is our first show for season six. And I'm so excited because today's topic is going to be women and the Universal Hip Hop Museum. And I have none other than Renee Foster and Martha Diaz to join me in the conversation today. Good afternoon, ladies. How are you? I think we're on mute. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Martha. I think Renee's on mute. Renee. Hi, Michelle. Hi, hi. How are you, ladies? Very well. Good, 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 good. So, ladies, I know your background, but be, uh, please share. Let me start with Martha. Give us a little background about uh, about you, Martha, a little bit of, of your history. Um, well, I'll begin with uh, I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. Okay. And I am a first-generation Colombian-American, mm-hmm. and I started working in the entertainment industry in my late teens, and now I will be celebrating very soon, almost 30 years of being um, part of the hip hop entertainment industry and community. And I've been a filmmaker, an educator, archivist, curator. And now I am the director of the Hip Hop Education Center at the Universal Hip Hop Museum. I also chair the archives curriculum. Cur- curatorial, and education affairs. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Martha. Renee, how about you? Share a little bit of your background with us. Wow. I really um, started my career in radio at KISS FM here in New York. And um, although I was working in programming and I loved arts and entertainment, I wanted to be trained as a journalist. Mm -hmm. So I went to work for RKO Radio Networks, but very soon after... I went to work in the record industry and um, Andre Harrell poached me away from Universal MCA Records Mm -hmm. to be the first director of publicity for Uptown. But there at Universal MCA, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with a lot of hip hop artists and breaking the careers of artists like Heavy D and the boys. And that's when I first met the executive director of uh, the Universal Hip Hop Museum, Rocky Buchano, because I also did press on, you know, independent artists, artists on smaller labels that were distributed. Um, I did press on Busy B, and that's how I happened to meet Rocky Buchano. Wow. But my work has always been arts, entertainment, and specifically hip hop focused. Yeah, really. So you always had a thing for hip hop, Renee. You love the hip hop music and genre. I loved it. I became a convert in one night. Um, you my night? first love took me to a concert and I got to see 
Angie Stone and Cheryl in the sequence, and it was that was it for me. I'm gonna funk I, you right on up. I'm gonna funk you right on up. Right? Yes, right. I was all <laughs> in at that moment. I was all in. Wow. All in. Yes. Yeah. The music, the sound, the beats, and how they were, you know, spitting those lyrics and just so funky and soulful. And just to see women do it was just the thing, right, Renee? Absolutely. And so Angie was my first you know, female hip hop idol. And then, you know, as, as, you know, other women were emerging like Roxanne Chante and Antoinette, I was crazy. I would go to underground clubs and bombed out places on the Lower East Side to see rap shows. And, um, and very often, you know, I didn't care if I was by myself or not, but hip hop was that way. Right. You know, you could go anywhere and you could be a part of it. And that was what really drew me to it. Awesome. Now, Renee, where are you from? Are you from New York? What, what part of New York are you from? I was born in Bed-Stuy and I was raised in Queens. I'm the original Around the Way girl, LL Cool J was singing about. <laughs> about. Okay. My name is even in his song. But yeah, I grew up in Queens. I have extensive family all throughout Brooklyn and of course in the South too. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm a first generation New Yorker, which is really unusual um, for my generation to have only been born in the North. Right. You know, uh, post the great migration. So it's, it's real interesting to, you know, to have both perspectives. Yeah. So, yeah, but I'm a, I would have to say I claim Queens. I claim Queens you claim for sure. Queens. So set the stage for the people that don't know, because we have listeners all over the world, and especially, um, you know, outside of New York. So tell us a little bit of what the neighborhood was like for you as a kid in Queens, the music, the vibe. Kind of set the stage for us, Renee. Well, it was amazing. There was so much talent to come out of communities. You know, here in Queens, <clears throat> Neighborhoods have their own names. And, you know, uh, the kids that came out of Hollis and St. Albans, Mm -hmm. we're talking about LL Cool J, Child Called Quest, you know, De La Soul. Mm -hmm. And I can go on and on. And later, of course, there was, you know, 50 Cent and Run DMC. So you think about, you know, how much hip hop was bubbling under. But you can't miss the fact that there was such a cross-pollinization. Kids would move and leave boroughs and fall into hip-hop crews no matter what borough they were in, Mm -hmm. and it was a healthy competition. Mm -hmm. When you think about all the Queensbridge kids, oh, my God. You know, you have to talk about, you know, Mob Deep. You have to talk about Nas, of course. And, of course, Jay-Z out of Marcy. So there was a really healthy kind of atmosphere of creativity where – People felt that having hip hop as a means of expression was what they really identified with and wanted to do. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to switch over to Martha. Martha, for you, where are you from, Martha? Well, I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. and my experience was a little uh, different. I mean, I didn't grow up. We didn't have rap stars around our way. Right, right, right. right. Um, But... Uh, we had, uh, I grew up with immigrant kids from all over the world, um, Italians, Haitians, Russians, and we were all like 
latchkey kid. So we used to hang out after school. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, I never hung out after school. But one day at 10 years old, I was invited to hang out after school. And that's when I met my tribe. And these were kids who were dancing and listening to music and writing. And at the time, we didn't know it was called hip hop culture. Okay. We were just hanging out. And I that's when I first uh, discovered hip hop in the schoolyard. But I also went to roller skating rinks mm-hmm. and I used to listen to um, Soul Sonic Force mm-hmm. and Shannon and all, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when I really started to listen to the music and I got hooked really quick and then forget it. Once I heard BDP, Karis One yes. and Public Enemy, I, I knew I was, uh, this, this was the culture, the path and, and the truth for me. Now, did you start as a kid, Martha, like maybe in your teens, start migrating more to New York from Jersey to, to New York? I, I was did. it in your teens? Tell us a little bit about that, because for people that don't know, yeah, we got the five boroughs, but we always accepted our Jersey people, right, to come on in, party with us, blend with us. So tell us how it was for you as a kid when you started doing that. Well, my mom used to visit the Bronx, um, you know, when I was a a teenager, and then I learned how to take the bus from Patterson to Port Authority, and I would go to these clubs that I was way too young to be at, you know, but I was there hanging out um, at at the world or the red zone, palladium, um, just all these, these clubs. And I, I wasn't afraid at that time. We weren't afraid as kids, we would take the bus and if we would miss our bus back, which was at 1 (laughs) a.m., we would have to stay and wait till six in the morning for the next bus. And so we would hang out right on 42nd street with all the the street workers. And, um, (laughs) you know, and we weren't afraid. I mean, we saw some crazy things. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. 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 Cause back then 42nd street wasn't as touristy or clean or inviting (laughs) as it is today, right? So we really would see syringes. You go down further down on the west side, there was definitely used condoms in the street, keeping it 100. The arcade and Playland, we go in there and play Pac-Man. That was the game back then, just trying to kill time, get a slice of pizza. But it certainly wasn't with the bleachers and no traffic going in and out. You know what I mean? And the men in blue are walking around, and the dudes that was hitting the buckets, playing the yes. beat, right? Yes. We saw them emerge and then finally get in the videos. But it was totally, it, it definitely had a different urban type of city grind, but that was our city. We knew exactly <laughs> how to maneuver within it. So you're absolutely right. We didn't have a sense of fear or anything like that. We just kids just like understanding what this culture was, right? For the most part, right? And the music took us you know, in different spots and different places, but it brought us together. Right. All right. Let me get to, let me get to Renee. I want to talk to you, Renee, about Kiss FM because I love radio, right? (laughs) That is my dream. I told somebody today, I'm, I'm pushing to get onto radio, but I remember listening to Kiss FM and WBLS. Renee, tell us a little bit about your life there at Kiss FM and how did you get there? 
Oh my goodness, what an amazing story. First of all, Kiss FM was located at the time at 1440 Broadway, and that was at Broadway at 40th Street, Mm -hmm. which was exactly two blocks from what we call the Deuce, 42nd (laughs) Street. That's correct. (laughs) And it was really dicey, Mm. really, really dicey. We're talking about the pre Disneyfication before they cleaned up Times Square and gentrified it. Mm It was, you know, while you could see street kids break dancing, there were um, there was a whole culture. There was a street culture that was very defined by being there in and around the deuce. And my most memorable experience, I worked morning drive, mm-hmm. which meant I had to be at work at 530 a.m. Wow. And I lived a train ride away in the next borough in Queens. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I worked at Kiss FM, I would literally leave my house around four in the morning to go to work. But that was fantastic (laughs) because I had just, you know, doing that, it gave me entree into programming. I was working for an amazing programmer, uh, Barry Mayo, at the time, who went on to run and operate WBBR out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of manual programming to do by way of pulling the commercials used to be on eight track cartridges. Yeah. Yeah. I'm dating myself now. Okay. (laughs) And you really had to be organized. You had to pay attention to when the commercial breaks were, Mm -hmm. you needed to know how long your DJ was going to be on air so that you could move in the space Mm -hmm. to not make background noise. It was a very, very disciplined job to have. Mm -hmm. And you had to be willing to be at work at 5.30 a.m. Wow. You just had to be willing. And this was after I had worked the midnight shift in the newsroom. I have it reversed. I did radio, and then I went to the newsroom. Wow. And that's when the street kids, talking about the deuce, mm-hmm. really protected me because they would see me every night at the same time. Mm. And they were like, hmm. She's not one of us, so where is she going? What does she do? We see her every night at the same time. And so one evening they rolled up and they said, yo, 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 where you going? Mm. I said, I'm going to work. And they said, well, you don't look like a hoe. What you do? Ooh. <laughs> Straight up, we're talking about runaways from all over this country. Yeah, yeah. In and around Times Square. Right. And I said, I have a job. I have a real job. I just have to work at midnight, which is why you see me at the same time. Those same kids walked me to work every night as long as I worked at overnight shift. Wow. And how long did you do that shift, Renee? How long? I did that shift for a year because I was intent on learning everything I could, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I was working with veteran journalists. The only caveat is that they were all old white men. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to tell them they got out the mothballs to come to work. (laughs) It was fun. It was, I was, I was the only one. So, you know, I kind of, just, you know, had the freedom to learn everything. Everybody wanted to teach me what they knew. So it wasn't, you know, they were just old and white. Otherwise it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. So you're working at Kiss FM, Renee, you're loving what you're doing. You're learning the business. You're learning all the protocol that goes with it. How did Andre Harrell and you connect? How did that happen for you? I was working for um, the media relations artist development department there at uh, Universal MCA. And at the time, they did not separate the artists based on genre. So I may turn around and work on 
Bobby Brown as a solo artist with my bosses, Katie Valk and Juanita Steffens, and then turn around and work up an album by Reba McIntyre mm. or the Oak Ridge Boys okay. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there was Heavy D and, and everyone was on the label. Even Gladys Knight was at our label at the time. Wow. Well, Andre noticed how much I liked hip hop mm-hmm. because I had two things that I would always either hum to myself because we had a very long hallway. Right. I would either, I would either hum Bonita Applebaum. Oh, tribe. Tribe, <laughs> tribe. Or, or Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or either Pat Benatar. And he would like, wow, your taste is kind of eclectic and you kind of like a lot of music and you want to work for me? Nice. Wow. <laughs> and that was pretty much how it went. He he kind of understood that I liked music. Yeah. And he was really aware of the work that I was doing as an assistant, working really hard. He, although he knew my background, he was like, mm, let me take you out of here and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. And that's how I wound up working for Andre. And it was, uh, it was really fascinating yeah. because um, new artists, new label, a lot of energy, um, unknowns. Our famous, most famous artist at the time mm-hmm. was Albie Shore. Mm-hmm. We had not signed Jodeci. We had just signed Jodeci. And Mary was working so hard to make yeah. what's the 411. Yeah. It was that new. It was a great era. It was a great time, man. Mm-hmm. And Heavy D and everybody else that came through there. Yeah, that was a great time. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Martha, talk to me about life as a social entrepreneur. And for some of us uh, older people or people that may not be socially savvy, explain to us what that is. Tell us what that is. Sure. And Can I also just say that I think, Renee, we might have crossed paths at some point because I was working for Ted Demi at UMTV Rap. Yes. Yes. And so then we went off to do Who's the Man? And Who's the Man's uh, soundtrack was a collaboration with Uptown Records. Yes. Yes, we certainly did, Martha. We certainly did. And this is the thing, you know, Michelle, I I have to, to say this about what a dynamic creative time in that space mm-hmm. we were operating in. Um, Martha worked for Ted Demi, who went on to become an amazing film director, amazing. but he loved hip hop and yes. everybody knew each other. Martha, I kid you not. When I was working at Kiss FM, one of my exes had written Last night, a DJ saved my life. So I got to know Chef Pettibone, Timmy Regisford, you know, all the remixers that did those amazing 12-inch remixes. I knew guys in record pools. I knew producers and songwriters well before I even entered the record industry, which is really what made Andre aware of the depth and the breadth of what I knew and my ability and how I had grown professionally. But yeah, that's amazing, Martha. Yeah, that was a a wonderful time. And I remember I was interning and so was Diddy or Puffy, right, at the time. And so 
you know, we ended up becoming, uh, you know, well, he became a mogul and, (laughs) and I became a social entrepreneur. And so a social entrepreneur is someone who develops a business with three standards in mind that the business is going to be good for the people, good for the community, good for the planet. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's how we build the business. Now, there are philanthrocapitalists who uh, create businesses, and after they make all their money, they want to give it away. Right. But we social entrepreneurs create businesses with, you know, um, service in mind first right. and how we're going to improve the world through our businesses. And so I became a social entrepreneur because I wanted to go against the grain. I, I worked in the entertainment industry. You know, I started at Yo MTV Raps. I went to Hollywood, worked on a few films with Ted Demi and Jerry Bruckheimer. And I got disillusioned with the, the whole industry. And so I wanted to be independent And I wanted to create my own platforms. Mm. I became an independent producer. The RZA was one of my executive producers. Mm. And I was just experimenting and figuring out how can I make this a better world and just give other people a chance to to join us in this race, right? Right. And so we, um, you know, we... I created a a hip hop film festival and I commissioned or tapped all of my friends in the entertainment industry, filmmakers, activists, educators. And I said, let's do this. Let's create our own hip hop film festival. And they did. They started, you know, we started this and it grew. And then we did another platform, a hip hop education summit that that became a big hit. And I just kept, creating and producing platforms and and that's how I developed my sensibility of social entrepreneurship. I didn't know, just like with hip hop culture, I didn't know I was doing that until later on when I almost 40 years old, I went back to school to learn how to sustain my businesses. And that's when I learned that, oh, what I do is social entrepreneurship. Awesome. 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 Martha, let me ask you, how and why did you get involved with the Universal Hip Hop Museum? Well, about seven years ago, it might be, yeah, about seven years ago, maybe a little longer, um, I heard about the Universal Hip Hop Museum. I actually heard about it before that because... um, I know the pioneers, I became friends with a lot of the artists. And so I've heard rumors about a museum being built, several museums. Mm-hmm. And um, when Rocky, I don't know how, oh, Warrington Hudlin connected us. Okay. And he wanted me to meet Rocky. And I said, wow, you know, great, great idea. We need it. How can I support? And I started advising It wasn't until 2018 that my mom transitioned and I just had an urgency to live life a little bit different, you know, and I started to um, figure out what my next steps 
you know, my next projects were going to be. And Rocky had a summer soiree and I was invited to it and I saw Paradise Gray and I saw Adam Silverstein and, you know, we discussed how I could support. And next thing you know, a month later, I am helping to curate the first exhibit of the 1960s, 1970s era in our temporary space. And then I started taking on more responsibilities and we formed a partnership because um, it just, it worked out perfectly. We were both, our missions are aligned. Mm -hmm. You know, we have um, a love for hip hop so so much that we want to preserve it for yeah. for the rest of the world, you know, for <laughs> millennials to come. Yeah. So, yeah. So Warrington Hudlin the of the Hudlin brothers, like yes, house party of the Hudlin brothers One, two, of house four. party. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Awesome. And so the he's, t- he's been a mentor of mine for a long time. Really? When I started my film festival, which. Actually, next year we celebrate our 20th anniversary of the film festival. Congratulations! Yeah, he he was an advisor. He was a a partner with uh, the Black Filmmaker uh, Association that he started, and um, and yeah, he's he's been a man. And for those that don't know, Martha, what's the name of the film festival? It's H Two O Hip Hop Odyssey International Film Festival. Is it always based here in the States or does it go it was around based the world? in New York City? Mm. It was started at the, at the Bronx Museum and we went to different locations. We did a, a series at, at the uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music. We worked with um, Symphony Space. Um, we just traveled the Schomburg. Yeah. I've, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I, as a, a social entrepreneur <laughs> have done is, is uh, taken over a public space, right? Yeah. It belongs to us. So I see our work in and produce our work in libraries in museums in schools. And so um, the, the, the film festival wasn't the traditional film festival. Like Tribeca is always in one spot. It traveled and it actually inspired a whole movement around the world there were other film festivals that were um, born out of this um, in in Europe, in Cuba, in Brazil, and um, in Africa. I mean, we we were all over. And and actually, in our twentieth anniversary, we're planning to connect all of these film festivals and celebrate this awesome. milestone together. Awesome! I want to come. <laughs> yes, you are invited. Thank VIP. You. I'm coming. I'm coming. Thank you, Martha. Renee, yes. my love, tell me how and why you got involved with the Universal Hip Hop Museum. You know, um, very interesting journey. I'm not sure how Rocky contacted me, but I was invited to come to a design cipher. Mm. Now, I don't know who referred him. I don't know um, how my name landed into his Rolodex. Mm-hmm. You know, we had not worked in the record industry together for a while. And so I I went to the design cipher, which was really great because it was not only just hip hop lovers, but 
people from the community, uh, people from the arts uh, sector, designers, architects, you name it, just your next door neighbor, everyone was invited. And um, as you know, they put us in breakout groups and uh, they filmed each breakout group. And after reviewing all of the breakout groups and um, how our particular group interacted with each other and the ideas and, you know, the energy of how we communicated, Rocky said, would you consider, you know, um, volunteering at the museum, you know, in, in the capacity of doing communications of some sort? And I said, sure. You know, for me, working in publicity, media relations, artist relations, I've always been very, very clear about the voice with which hip hop was spoken to and through. And its authenticity was a part of the reason why I felt that artists needed someone that would advocate for their artistry in an honest way that allowed them to be who they were because people will put you in a box, mm. especially when they want to commodify what you do, mm. particularly mm. your art, your talent, whatever that thing may be. You know, I don't care what it is. There's always someone to tell you what it is or what it isn't or how to do it. Right. I didn't want that for hip hop artists. And coming out of journalism, I always understood that they don't know us. Mm. Not really. They don't speak to or for us mm-hmm. in ways that we or feel respected or seen or related to. So that's always been my mission to make sure any artist that I work with was able to be as honest about their art and what they create as right. possible. Right. And so I was very, very happy. And I too worked for the Hudlin brothers. I did, a, I did the premieres. I did the press for the premieres for the black filmmakers foundation, for I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, New Jack City, mm. and Above the Rim. Nice. So they have a wonderful legacy of, of helping and bringing people along. And I'll tell you a very interesting anecdote. Um, one of the acts on Uptown, Groove Be Chill, was the inspiration for the lead protagonist in House Party, Kid and Play, mm-hmm. as portrayed by Kid and Play. Mm-hmm. But Groove Be Chill did not have a record released yet. So the Hudlins decided because Kid and Play were already charting, they had comedic talent, Mm -hmm. that they could, you know, fit into those roles perfectly in that film. And that film is now a classic. And Daryl Mitchell, who was a member of Groove Be Chill, is now a well-known actor Mm -hmm. in film and television in spite of becoming a paraplegic. He is still an amazing actor doing very, very well. So there's something to be said about all of us that came out of Uptown. Uh, Puffy was our intern, but I can tell you he worked harder than all of us put together. Mm. And uh, and it was kind of understood that we needed to be driven to accomplish this particular thing. But learning, you know, this culture had to be positioned a certain way and thought of as in a certain way. I took it seriously from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you, you have two things in front of you, Renee, two things that are on your heart, not only just the genre itself, 
But now you're doing things to just make sure a woman's voice is heard, right? Women in hip hop themselves being heard. So talk to me about celebrating women in hip hop during Women's History Month in March. I heard her story, Beyond Music. Um, great panel discussion. Renee, you were on that panel. It was yes. awesome. Very good conversation. Thank and it you. was similar women like yourself that are passionate about music, passionate about blacks in music and preserving what we're doing right through these museums. And so I thought that was interesting, but I want to, I want you to expound a little bit about the fresh, bold and so deaf initiative, if you can. I have got to cede the floor to Martha because that is Martha's baby. And can I just tell you, it is stacked with so many amazing women that have worked in so many areas in arts and entertainment specifically to support hip hop. You know, women whose stories that have gone unheralded simply because they were not necessarily artists. And that has, and that doesn't even include all of the women that did not get their opportunity to fully have their artistry because of, you know, sexism, misogyny. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to cede the floor to Martha because Martha can tell you better than I ever right. could. Come on in, Martha. Tell us. Tell us about. Well, well, like Renee said, this is a collective of women who have decided to come together to tell our stories, mm-hmm. you know, as we know it. Right. Because too many times people are telling the story and we can't you know we don't we don't have the the platform and so i decided that while i was in school at nyu i created a womanhood learning project mm-hmm. really for the younger mm-hmm. generation of women and girls growing up so they could learn about women's history but then it turned into something else because i thought maybe an anthology of these stories would would be better. Maybe we need to do a book, publish a book and actually add our photos and our archives of, you know, to, to prove we were there. Mm. there. <laughs> we did this. We did this. And then it turned into like, wait, let's celebrate each yeah. other. Right. And so the Fresh, Bold and Soul Deaf initiative is um, a celebration, mm-hmm. um, a preservation project. Yes. And you know, and an education project where we are coming together because all these women that are part of this collective, they have their own projects, their mm-hmm. own initiatives. They either have a B-boy, B, I mean, a B-girl uh, initiative of dancers or musicians. Like we have a uh, Akua Naru who has mm-hmm. um, the Keepers Project. We have... Um, who else is part of our, there's so many that now, like, of course I'm blanking out. (laughs) We have uh, two fly with her, um, the ladies love project, which are all visual artists and Rockefeller Rockefeller. That's with the whole B girl scene. Mm -hmm. And so we have filmmakers, scholars, MCs, dancers, DJs, we have them all represented. And there, you know, we, we definitely want to, we include our big celebrity names. You know, we welcome them all the time, especially Queen Latifah and the first generation, uh, or the second generation of women that are now still out doing their thing. Um, we also 
are mentored and um, supported by the pioneering women like Cindy Campbell and Shah Rock and Roxanne, which over the years have always given me a lot of love and support. Mm -hmm. So we always acknowledge them. But then also we have this new generation of girls that are like 10 years old, winning all kinds of battles around the world. And they're they're just remarkable, remarkably talented. And um, so we are bringing them along. So it could be, you know, intergenerational um, acknowledgement. And and so I, I, I really love this project because the museum has embraced it as its own. And within the uh, the museum, there will be a women in hip hop co- collection oh. dedicated, um, you know, in, in, in conjunction with this pro- project, Fresh Bowl Deaf. Awesome. Awesome. I felt the passion of you talking about it, too. I felt it. I felt it. I felt it. For those that don't know, tell everybody where the museum is going to be. Say it loud. Say it loud, because there's people that need to know the Universal Hip Hop Museum will be located where? Go ahead, Renee. That's your thing. Where is it, Renee? The Universal Hip Hop Museum is going to be located at 65 East 149th Street. Currently, you can visit the temporary exhibition, our pop-up exhibition, which will remain open until the doors open on our permanent home, You can visit the Revolution of Hip Hop Mm. at 610 Exterior Street, but you must go online to reserve your tickets. It is a timed entry. We have COVID safety protocols to keep everyone safe. And we're open Thursdays through Sundays. And the permanent museum will open fully to the public in 2024, mm-hmm. we will have a soft opening in 23, but the full site, the Bronx Point waterfront development site where we are, the cultural anchor as designated by the New York City Council, will begin to be open to the public in 2023 with the full museum and the entire Bronx Point open in 2024. COVID has set everything back a year, essentially here in New York by way of construction. But we're really looking forward to it. We are a part of a mixed use project. Um, The first phase where we do our soft opening will also include 542 all affordable housing units. Mm. We're going to have space for the Bronx Children's Museum, Bronx Works, which is also a community service organization that serves the grassroots community's needs, you know, in terms of whatever social supports you may need. There will also be that organization on site at that location. In addition to us, there will be restaurants, shops, and lots of places, open space, The Esplanade. I'm particularly excited about that Esplanade because the Harlem Riverfront, where we're going to look out onto, had been undeveloped for years. And it's in Mott Haven, right across the street, basically underneath the bridge from Harlem. There's no reason why that beautiful waterfront space has gone unused for so long. Well, listen. We're going to have a waterfront that's going to rival the promenade in Brooklyn Heights. Mm. And as a New Yorker, you know exactly how beautiful that is. Right. So we're very, very excited to be a part of that. 
Renee, let me ask you, was there any uh, controversy about where the museum should be or did everybody agree that it should be in the Bronx? No question it was supposed to be in the Bronx. Okay. No question. From the very first time Herc dropped the needle on the record, it was in the Bronx. Okay. (laughs) No one would question that. Okay. Because if you question that, you've got to question how did BDP rise? Come on. You know, this is this was not uh, casual. It didn't happen out of ether. It happened for a reason. And, you know, it is so important that people like Martha as educators, formally educators, curators, archivists, Mm -hmm. they're critical to this culture. Why? Because people need to understand that there were a lot of social things Mm -hmm. that went on that made that burst of creativity that created the Big Bang that became hip hop that changed the world. Mm. There has not been a cultural movement to go global in the way the youth culture of hip hop has done. Mm. Only educators, only archivists. Only curators can make it formally accepted and recognized for future generations to understand the power of what this culture became Mm. from a black party in a park jam. Come on. Come on, Renee. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Renee. You preaching. You preaching. I want to ask you, Renee, what makes this museum so different from the others? I think you touched on it a little bit more, but I want to give you a platform to, to lean in some more about it. Why will this museum be different than um, any other museum that we have, especially that emphasizes or focuses on our culture as black people? Right. So there's an African-American uh, history uh, museum in D.C., but why will this one be so different? Well, let's start with the fact that this museum was inspired by black and Latin X culture. Yes. You can't, you cannot look at any inner city and not see the, the mosaic that black and Latin X people bring to every city that grounds it. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. As a child, I thought Spanish was in the water in New York City. <laughs> Just my childlike mind, mm-hmm. but to give you a sense of why it had to be in the Bronx, anybody that's Black or Latin knows mm-hmm. we did this. Black kids and Latin kids together, mm-hmm. dancing, rhyming, mm-hmm. you know, in a cipher together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people in rap battles. This was Black and Latin kids. Okay. I'm not saying that others that have embraced the culture haven't contributed, Mm -hmm. but what black and Latin kids sang about, wrote about, talked about, listen, you can go from the message Mm. to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Right. Talking about living in the Heights. This is our story. There's no other way. No one else could tell it in the way we can. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can't say hip hop started across eight mile. Don't get the goddess started over here. Okay, come on, goddess. Okay, hip hop did not start at eight mile. Mm-hmm. Hip hop started 
1520 Sedgwick Avenue. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, it did travel to Long Beach, mm-hmm. the LBC. But you you've got to think about the cultural melting pot. And I do mean a cultural melting pot that was inspired by Afro-Latinos, African-American Blacks, the rhythms, the instruments, the beats, all of it, all of it, all of it. And you've got to go back to Mott Haven. You cannot talk about the rise and the birth of hip hop without talking about Mott Haven. Mm Got to do it. I'm going to go to Martha. Martha, because you're an educator, I know this is a great opportunity to bridge the gap. Share with us a little bit more about your educational space with the Universal Hip Hop Museum, things that you're planning, you're doing now, futuristically. What do you see for us in in learning about the culture even more? Sure. um, But I want to add something to what uh, Renee said, because with um, Herc's party, Mm-hmm. It is the first documented party, right, that we know of. Right. But we know that there were other parties and other stories. And what this museum will do is allow for us to explore mm-hmm. and debate, mm-hmm. contest mm-hmm. in a very civilized way our history. Right. And so I think that's also very important to say why this museum matters. It isn't that we're just telling one story. We're here to tell all the stories within hip hop. And with education, that's where we come in and we start fact checking. We create timelines. We create curriculum that is culturally relevant for students in schools so that they can learn how they're connected to this culture and how they're still contributing. They are part of the new history that's being preserved, uh, being created. And so we want to preserve that as well. And so we have tools like timeline tools and we have workshops so that they can learn the foundation of all the elements of hip hop. We have lectures from our architects and scholars We have book talks, movie screenings, um, and we have uh, like summer camps that we're developing. One summer camp that is going to take place is one that is going to teach kids about curation. And they're going to learn about the different artifacts and they are going to make selections and create their own exhibitions. And so this is what it's all about inspiring young people to love the museum, to take over the museum, to possibly, you know, uh, take a job and a career path in, in museum, in a museum. And so I am so honored to be part of this um, education department to start laying the foundation. We have an incredible committee of educators and scholars that are with us and we meet every week, you know, doing the research, making sure that our story is correct because people are looking to us, you know, for the the truth. And so um, a shout out to my team. Yeah. You got a great team. I'm going to throw in a couple of a, a, a plug and a comment here. Being born and raised, I'm leaning into the mic for those that can't see me. Born and raised in Bronx River Projects. You already know where I'm going with this. So 
to see Zulu Nation, to see Bam spin in the back of the center with the extension cord coming from his house just to give us a vibe, just to give us music, to hear James Brown broken down the way it was broken down, to hear Roman candles, to just, it was a thing. So it's going to be very interesting to see the story, the timelines that are presented in the, in the museum, because we're going to be from, as you're saying, Martha, different neighborhoods did different things different times and it's going to all line up to what we're seeing and witnessing today, you know? So it's, it's going to be an amazing thing. I also want to say this too. I think it's very important and I tip my hat off to the Universal Museum, the Hip Hop Museum. It's so critical because with social media now, we're able to see that the culture is international. You see Asian people b-boying, b-dancing, wearing Adidas suits, right? With the shell toe Adidas the whole look that we curated in New York City is like gone abroad. So I would love to see that respect is paid where it needs to be paid, you know, and that we can continue to cultivate us in the U.S. For those that want to learn about it, maybe they didn't even know it existed, that they get more ingrained into it because it's a it's a genre, it's a movement, it's a culture, it's a business it's a lifestyle that I feel at times is slipping away because, and it leads to my next question or, or comment, rap artists today feel like they don't have to drop 16 bars, right? It's a different type of rap. No disc, no shade. It's just where we, we've evolved to. But how do we bridge the gap? Like, because there was a rich essence of being a lyricist. That was one thing I liked about most deaf. Right. Yes. Seen the day. Right. The fact that he was a lyric. There were lyricists. There were people that knew how to write and tell a story that I feel that the culture today has maybe moved away or the storytelling is different because the environment is different. Right. So I'm going to ask Renee, what are your thoughts on that, Renee? A little different today. Are we missing the mark? Because, you know, you coming up with Uptown Records, you seen it, heard it, smelled it. You know, Martha made mention of KRS-One and BDP. Where are we today with hip hop? Like, are we losing it or we still got it? Oh, Renee, if you talk. Here I am. Here I am. Listen, I think we still got it. And I'll tell you why. Okay. I know that a lot of what is being made today isn't necessarily for my ear, Mm. but there are still amazing storytellers. You know, I'm always listening for who's bubbling under that can tell me a story. I listen to Mm DaBaby and, you know, there are certain artists that, you know, if you put me in the mindset of like, if you make me think I'm listening to too short, Uh I'm paying attention. Right. Now, I know I'm not going to put down folks that are the flavor of the moment because somebody likes that flavor in that moment. Mm hmm. So I'm not going to knock that, but I'm going to tell you, I've always understood that much of rap has the shelf life, a short shelf life. Mm -hmm. It is when you really bring yourself to it and you really bring your art to it. That is what makes your record still get played 25, 30 years later. You can't tell me country grammar doesn't sound as good today. Mm. 
as it did when it came 20, 20 came out 20 years ago. Wow. But once again, I felt like I was in St. Lou mm-hmm. rolling on dubs. Right. With Nelly. With Nelly. Right. So I'm going to always listen for storytellers. You know what they say? Um, the expression is the wheat will fall away from the shaft. That's right. So what's good is going to rise to the top. The rest will fall away. Right. And I'm still going to be dancing in my living room when it's good. <laughs> You know, I like Jack Marlowe. What's popping? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, right. I even like Thrift Shop by what's that child's name? <laughs> Macklemore. Yeah. So if yeah. it makes me dance, I'm gonna listen. I'm not gonna say, mm, I'm not sure I like the person who made it. I just have to like it. You have to like I wanna, it. I wanna hear something that moves me, makes me snap my neck, mm-hmm. and make wants me wanna make me wanna dance. Not a lot of it does, but quite the bit that does, I really love. Okay. Okay. And and, and and a lot of it doesn't make it to the media. Right. You know, the media controls what we hear, right. and what we see. Right. And so a lot of the amazing young artists that are coming up, they are just not, you know, in, in, in the media. Right. But with a museum like this, we can create a platform to showcase new awesome. artists. That was the thing. That's awesome. And, and we are an international museum and we are a smart museum. Yeah. So we are using the latest technology to make connections here. Yes. So we have VR technology, AI technology, AR technology. And so you, we will be able to be in the same place like how we are now with right. Zoom with an international audience. Phenomenal. And so, um, yeah, I, that more to come. Yes. I'm going to be <laughs> leaning in to, to, to understand. So I want to ask, so how can people stay connected, Martha, to the museum? Like, do we go to a website? Do we sign up? Do So we can get like email notifications to understand. What do we do to, to just stay connected and be supportive? Yes. Well, you should definitely go to the website uhhm.org and we have a newsletter that you can sign up we are relaunching the website we have a new website that will be launched when when um renee i think middle middle of may Mm -hmm. the mid-may i said mid-may we are uh absolutely preparing for a huge ceremonial groundbreaking so our new website will absolutely be up and running mid-may in advance of may 20th when we have that web uh when we have the the groundbreaking so yeah visit us subscribe to our newsletters follow us on all of the social media accounts we have whether it's facebook instagram whether it's twitch whether it's twitter mm-hmm. we're there we're there as the official record of hip hop mm-hmm. and if you really want to know you know what's really good right <laughs> and then follow us yeah. follow us and keep current and find out what we're doing and what new installations and events and programming and all the things that we love about hip hop that we're doing to bring it to the public. Are you ladies interested in receiving um, donations like artifacts from that era, like clothing or flyers or anything? Yes, else that yes, we can use? yes, right, yes, right, right, yes, right? absolutely, absolutely. Martha, please talk to Michelle about archiving and curation and how important artifacts and memorabilia are to the museum. Okay. Oh, absolutely. We're, we are searching and accepting 
anything, any uh, memorabilia, cultural material, apparel, uh, objects that could help us map out the story mm-hmm. of hip hop. And so you can email me personally at Martha at org, And I work with Adam Silverstein on the archives and collection. I also work with the curatorial team, and that is uh, made up of our chief curator, Paradise Gray, and co-curator Pete Nice um, from Third Base. Paradise is from nice. um, X-Clan and Senyan Kelly. So we are always looking for material. And right now we have about 40,000 pieces. That's that's small. That's small because just 30,000 of those items are vinyl um, albums that we we got as a donation. But um, yes, we, we are seeking posters, laminates, anything you have that could, again, help us with uh, preserving hip hop history. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Martha. Renee, what about you? Any closing remarks or comments? What do you envision for the museum? What is it that you hope the message will be when people come? My goodness. As the official record of hip hop, what I envision for this museum as a smart museum of the future is to be a focal point in the community. My aspirations are so big for what it can be to the community that it serves and the world beyond it. You know, Martha talked about us being, you know, doing artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality. Mm -hmm. I feel that our museum opens up the world to the culture in ways that we kind of take for granted because the influence of the culture has been so powerful. When you think about the things we've done and the influence that we've had within hip hop, this museum will make the world understand how powerful a movement hip hop has been because it has transcended socioeconomic race class. We're four generations in now. Mm. So this museum is really the epitome of a place where you can understand the history of how his, how hip hop happened, mm-hmm. how it happened to be born in the Bronx and raised worldwide. And this is where you'll get that information officially and you'll get facts and not speculation. Mm-hmm. And you'll see artifacts that were used, worn, carried, sold, owned by people that were participants of this culture. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important. That's my wish. That is my dream and my hope for this museum, that every person that comes through that door understands the power of what Black and Latin youths created. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Amazing. Renee, how can people find you or get with you or chat with you or leave donations or just <laughs> they can you. email me at Renee uh, at uhhm.org. Okay. And um, I answer all my emails. Yes, she does. I talk to people when they call me. Yes, she like does. Like a human being. I'm so honored. <laughs> Martha, Renee, and I make them know that I care about this and yeah. I care that you care, whoever you may be. If you call me about anything I'm going to give you my time because it all matters. 
everyone that loved this culture contributed to it. Yeah. I don't care if you just danced or went out and bought your fresh your fresh Kangol or your fresh your freshest pair of nights you could ever buy. Mm-hmm. Your first Reeboks. You love hip hop. Gazelles. Okay. Don't forget the gazelles. Don't forget the gazelles. I want a pair right now. So, you know, and it really, it really, really matters when we look at each other and we see how much hip hop has contributed. I think it's critically important that we remember how valuable it has been, how much it has lifted up people. I think the example of inspiration that we can point to that is most recent, I want you to look at the way people talked about the inspiration that DMX provided through his art. Yes. Yes. This is the power of hip hop. Yes. It will transcend everything you go through. If you bring yourself to it, if you show up, if you really show up with your art in hip hop, you will never be forgotten ever. Love it. On that note, there's nothing else for me to say, but but just thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Renee Foster. Thank you, Martha Diaz. This was I got a little I got a little moisture in my eyes because it was just it was just it was just a passionate and informative conversation. I thank you ladies so much. Um listen, I want to thank all the listeners. Um Get Live Radio in UK and Germany, uh WDJY 99.1 FM in the Metro Atlanta area, the online channel, and Beat Break Radio for just always playing our shows. We so much appreciate it. You guys know me, um Real Chicks Rock, I'm everywhere. You can find me on Instagram under Real Chicks Rock, Twitter, uh realchicksrock.com you guys need to subscribe so that you understand what's going on when we're doing things you know subscribe and like our channel uh we got a facebook page over there i'm just blown away this this conversation was so good um i have to dedicate i I started doing this um at the last show and i'm going to do it every time we go out as my uh, my outro i said it today and i'll say it again I, i love radio i hope my goal is to take this platform to radio. So we're working on that, right? But as a kid growing up in New York, in the Bronx, I listened to not only to Renee on 97, uh, not on uh, KISS FM 98.7 FM, but I listened to WBLS every night. And I listened to a gentleman by the name of Frankie Crocker. And he ended his show with this. May you live to be 100 and I live to be 100 minus a day. So that I never have to know that beautiful people like yourself have passed away. Thank you, Mr. Crocker, for leading the way for so many of us in the space of radio and communications and journalism. That's my time. You guys be well. Take care and continue to rock on. Jack.